Thanks for joining us for this episode of STEMWire Live. I'm Liza Cordero, your host from CNA Education. In this episode of STEMWire Live, we sit down with CNA President and Chief Executive Officer, Dr. Catherine McGrady, to explore how a STEM degree prepared her for leading a nonprofit research organization. Also joining us is Dr. Brittany Cunningham from our CNA education team. She heads up our STEM research initiatives. CNA Education is expanding our rigorous research, evaluation, and technical assistance to strengthen the research base on STEM education to prepare a more highly skilled STEM workforce. Our efforts will focus on student interest, skills, access, and outcomes of STEM education as an avenue for college and career readiness and successful entry into jobs and careers. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Brittany, for joining us today for this episode of STEM Wire Live. So, Brittany, I'm going to start with you. And the first question is, what does the research tell us about the need for STEM education? What do you know or what's out there right now? Well, I'll start by saying in the larger context that technical and scientific innovation continue to drive our global economy. So the cultivation of high quality STEM education and training is continually being a pressing matter for educators and policymakers. However, research is showing us that in the labor market field, the pace at which secondary and post-secondary education is producing STEM workers is not keeping up with the demand for STEM talent. And to add to that conversation, in the last several years, research has shown that it's more than just building a STEM pipeline and having enough workers to fill jobs. It's also about the gap in specific STEM skills and the need for more hands-on um, skills-based approaches to education and training. And, and through that type of technique, so more hands-on and skills-based education, STEM courses can provide students or students can learn how to develop the necessary critical thinking, problem-solving, reasoning, and employability skills to successfully enter into the workforce. And by employability skills, I mean communication, leadership, teamwork. What we're seeing, though, is there's a gap still in the balance between learning the technical skills and the employability skills. STEM is a hot topic. You do hear a lot of people talking about it. And I'll turn to you, Catherine. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. We asked you to be on this episode because we understand that you started your career with a STEM background. I'm going to take you back when you were in elementary school. Were you thinking that you loved science, technology, engineering, math, or was it more of just a very natural thing? I wasn't thinking that I was going to go into science, engineering, math, or anything like that. I just didn't think that way. Um, If you want me to maybe not go quite so far back as elementary school, but uh, I always did well in the sciences in high school, but I really liked languages. And the reason why I did is I had a very good uh, Latin teacher and she was wonderful to take Latin classes from and Latin may not sound very exciting but it really was with that teacher so it wasn't really till college where I really um, decided I wanted to go into chemistry. 
So that story is, um, so I was at a liberal arts college and they do require that you take science and, and uh, languages and liberal arts classes, humanities classes. And I was taking a chemistry class and uh, I was working on a problem set and I sort of liked the class. You know, I didn't necessarily think it was gonna be my career at that point, it was my first year of college. And uh, we were working on a problem set and I remember I wanted I could solve the problem set through a device that they gave us um, to do that, but I wanted to understand the theory behind the problem that I was being asked to solve. So I delved into that just to see if I could do it. And um, I was really satisfied that I could use the theory I had learned to solve that problem. So it's a little like when you take something apart and then you try to put it back together again, and what you want is all the pieces of the puzzle or whatever it is to, to come back into the piece of equipment. And there was nothing left on the floor after all, after I'd taken it all apart. And so that was just a really deep, satisfying moment for me. So sometimes I hear that people want to get involved in STEM because it's fun. And it wasn't, that wasn't the sentiment I remember. The sentiment I remember was that I was deeply satisfied. And um, that was maybe fun, I don't know. <laughs> so that was how I got into it. Your journey led you to a chemistry degree. Right, right. From your chemistry degree, do you feel as though you learned those, what we call today, those critical thinking skills and problem solving? Was that something, in addition to obviously learning and understanding chemistry, did you feel as though you got those other 21st century skills? Um, I did, and I didn't, I don't think of them as 21st century skills. I think of them as thinking skills that have served, um, served me really well. So one of the main features of science is something called first principles, and you learn it if you're in the STEM field. So first principles are the fundamental concepts on which theory, methods, systems are all based. So if you're trying to solve a problem, if you go to f back to first principles, oftentimes you can solve it. So let me give you an example. If you have a piece of equipment that's broken, all you know is it's broken. You don't know which part of it is broken. All you know is it's broken. Maybe somebody came along and said, I think the fan's broken. Um, but you're not quite sure if that's, if that's what's broken. So you take the whole thing apart, and then you figure out which components are working and which components are not working. So someone might have told you the fan wasn't working, but maybe you find out that the fan is working. Um, but it's really something else that's broken. So once you figure out what's broken, you know what to fix, and that's the beauty of science. So I've really used that in my career a great deal, early in my career and now in my career. I'll talk to you now about when you were in the field, literally right. in the field. Right. How did that translate to right. your in-the-field experience? So let me give you an example of how it translates. When we say we're in the field, one of the things I did when I was in the field is that I accompanied the Marines who were part of Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and I was an analyst working for them. So I participated in all of the planning for the operation and the execution of the operation. So one day I was working with a group of people who were, we were trying to put a plan together before things started in the war. Um, as to what we would do with prisoners of war. The standard thing to do with prisoners of war is to bring them back to a central location for, for their care. So we were trying to figure out um, what we were going to do. And so we went through this whole planning evolution, and 
one of the th the conversation was about we're going to have a few we might have a few prisoners here and a few prisoners there and so we talked about how we would move them back to the central location but the numbers were not considered to be large in other words they were the the planning factor um, assumed that we'd have a few here and a few there well, and so then I was the analyst in the room and I said Okay, so we got that part of the plan done. What do we do if there are a lot of prisoners of war? And everybody told me, there was a sort of silence in the room, and everybody said, oh, that's not going to happen. The reason why they didn't think it was going to happen is because if that was happening, it meant they were having a lot of success. In other words, um, it wasn't going to be as hard as they thought it was going to be. But no one wants to plan for the thing that's going to be easy. The human factor in all of this is you plan for the thing that's hardest. So they said, oh, let's not, let's not worry about that scenario. So one of the officers in the room at the time said, pulled me aside and said, I want you to develop that plan, and I want you to put that in your pocket so when we really need it, we can use it. And um, we eventually did need it because that's what actually happened. There were a great number of um, prisoners of war. And the thing that scientists do is they can be detached from the emotions of the issue. And so they're just looking at what assumptions have we made and are those assumptions correct? And that's where my background in science, even though it wasn't a scientific problem, it's a very analytical way of thinking about problems, that's where it's been really helpful. Have you brought that analytical way of thinking about problems into your current position as our president and CEO? What are some examples of that? Right, so one of the things when you're the CEO is you have to set the direction of the company. And when you do that, you tell people what, you, what the direction is going to be and what you need them to do in order to achieve, um, to get the company in that, going in that direction. What will happen is these people will work these problems, and then they'll come back to you when they hit some sort of wall, some sort of obstacle. So that requires a conversation. And so when I'm listening to them talk about the wall that they've hit, Again, I have to go back to those first principles and say, okay, so what, what is fact here? What is an impression or a perception or a belief that's really getting in the way of solving this problem? So I bring them back to first principles. What are the facts? What did you try to do? Why isn't this working? Um, why do you think it's not working? How much of that is based on an impression versus um, a reality? And so what that ends up doing is it helps people understand what the real problem is and how to get through that problem. So it's, it's proven to be very, very useful to me. And I'm amazed how many times during the course of a day I actually use that. I'm going to get back to you, Catherine, a little bit about your advice for students and perhaps those young people today who are thinking about getting into the STEM field, what sorts of jobs are out there, will, will they be pigeonholed, and, and then use you as an example yet again of what a STEM education can mean. So turning to you, Brittany, okay. I wanted to ask a few more questions about access, opportunity, and outcomes of STEM education among underserved populations. We have conducted some research. Can you tell us about that? So recently we released the Appalachia STEM forecast, which identifies the high growth, high wage STEM occupations in the Appalachia region, specifically Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. In this study, we saw across these four states that engineering and architectural occupations were the high growth high wage jobs projected through 2024. 
We also release STEM in the Appalachia region, eighth grade student interest in mathematics, where we looked at eighth grade student reported interest in math across different racial and ethnic groups, again, in the four states that I previously mentioned. What we saw was anywhere between 60 and 80% of students reporting that they liked math. Ultimately then, I think it's important to clarify for our listeners the relationship between CTE and STEM, because I know that we've looked at CTE pathways and our research has focused on that. How does it connect directly to STEM education? So the idea is that CTE provides an opportunity for students to learn STEM skills. The way it does that is within a single course, a student can learn, for example, math and science, as opposed to just a single STEM course, which is either focused on science, focused on math or engineering. But in CTE, you get two of the concepts in one course. So you're prepared in both content, technical skills, and again, as I said, with employability skills as well. So the next natural question would be, what about STEM and the 21st century skills as it relates to preparing students for college and careers? With STEM, through the hands-on and skills-based approach to learning, you really get to experience something that's called project-based learning, where you're actually doing things. You're actually doing the critical thinking, the analytical skills. You're learning to work together in teams. So. That through that way, it prepares you to successfully enter into the workforce and prepares you for college. We at CNA not only have conducted research, we are in the midst of conducting additional research. One of our expertise areas, of course, is CTE education, training, workforce development. Brittany, do you mind telling us a little bit about what we currently have in our CNA hopper related to this topic? Sure. So coming up, we are still going to focus on student interests, skills, access, and outcomes of STEM education, but as an avenue for college and career readiness and as an avenue for successful entry into the workforce, particularly for rural areas and military-connected populations. We also have plans to leverage our expertise in various areas of workforce and skills development to provide high-quality research and evaluation around CTE as as an avenue to strengthen um, STEM skills. For example, right now we are doing a study where where we're looking at STEM interests but among CTE students and I will also say that we actually have a very exciting event coming up Um, we will be hosting a student focused event around STEM this is this events for high school students centered around learning the more the benefits of STEM skills in the real workplace focused on a number of things that Catherine just talked about Catherine We are hoping that you will be able to join us for this special event (laughs) that we are having. I'm sure the students would benefit from hearing from you. But it does lead me to another question, which is what's the best advice that you would give students who are interested in some of these STEM careers? If you think back when you were in college and going, hmm, I'm going to major in chemistry, and now look where you are today. What's that type of advice that you would give these young people? The advice I'd give, I'd give a couple of pieces of advice. First of all, um, sometimes I think people who are thinking about going into the STEM fields might think that it's sort of isolating or they hear about a lab or or um, something that sort of turns them off. Um, and I have to say, one of the reasons why I went into chemistry when I think honestly about um, chemistry, I, I really liked the labs. And it wasn't so much that the lab work I really liked. It was an afternoon spent with 
people I really enjoyed hanging around with. And we messed around a lot in the lab, to be quite honest. <laughs> and uh, lots of, so it was an afternoon spent with friends, actually. Um, I realized, you know, later on, I realized that a lot of that was sort of the teamwork I was developing. But it was a lot of fun just to be with your friends in a lab. So I just, I want to make sure people understand that it's perhaps not the kind, it's not as isolating as, as sometimes when you hear about it, it, they might think it did, it was isolating, or it might be isolating. Um, the other thing is, I realized, looking back a little bit, I think that it's important for people who are interested in STEM fields not to let what other people think get in your way. I went to an all-women's college, and, and actually there, there was no one to tell me it might be kind of weird if I went into chemistry, which is considered largely a male environment. So that was very helpful to me. But also, later on, it was much later on, my f I learned that my father had really thought it was a bad idea for me to go into chemistry. And the reason was he, he knew it was a very male-dominated field, and I might be unhappy in that kind of setting. Um, and my mother really told him to just zip his lip and not say anything. It was up for me to decide that. And I think that's really helpful to have people around you who are very supportive, either in your family or just uh, teachers, whatever environment it is, because I think somebody might say, even these days, gee, it's sort of odd to be in chemistry or whatever STEM field it is, um, and I think you have to ignore that. So my advice is don't listen to that if you can possibly um, not listen to it. So that's a piece of advice. I guess the other thing I'd say is um, when I was in college, uh, I, I listened to a woman who had gotten her PhD. It turned out it was in geology. Um, and she was working for Shell. Her job sounded exciting and fun, and she did a lot of travel and all that. It, was, it sounded a, like a great thing. Um, but the most important thing I remembered from that talk, and I remembered it really made a big difference in how I thought about chemistry, is she said, go get your PhD, because then you can do anything with that. And um, and I found that very appealing because I had no idea what I wanted to do with STEM. And I think it's important for people who are thinking about that, don't assume you know exactly what you're going to get into. Um, but do know that it opens all kinds of doors for, for you. And the reason why it does, and it's something that Brittany was saying earlier, it, it's an analytical way of thinking about problems. And that can be useful in so many fields, like I talked about before. I mean, I use it every day. And I never thought I would come to a place like CNA. I didn't even know it existed. Um, that had this, the, gave me the ability to use that analytical thinking to solve really interesting problems. I never thought that. So the other piece of advice is don't worry if you don't know exactly what you're going to do with it because you will find that all kinds of doors are open to you and you'll be able to do very interesting things with that kind of background. It's a perfect closing for our episode of STEMWire Live. Thank you so much, Catherine, Brittany, for joining us. If you want to learn more about the research quoted during this podcast, please visit us at www.cna.org.